Good morning. I've not had a chance to meet you yet. My name's Neil, and it's great to have you to our services. And we come to the time in our service now where we, we spend just about half of our time together uh, focused on trying to understand what the Word of God is saying to us. And today we're going to be looking at a subject that is everybody's favorite to hear about in church. We're going to be looking at the issue of our sexuality. And uh, if you had, if you grab one of our um, worship or handouts as you came in this morning, you're going to notice on the back that I can't count very well, right? Because our subtitle for today is How to Keep Sex a Three-Letter Word. And I think sex is a three-letter word. One, S, E, X, that makes two. X makes three, right? Three. But what we're really trying to talk about is how to keep sex from being a sin in our lives. And, you know, we've been in the midst of a short series entitled Sex by the Good Book. And um, for those of you who are like, what in the world have I gotten into today? This is, this is not a subject that we dwell on a lot. I think sometimes we have this impression that the church is a hater when it comes to our sexuality. It's not. I mean, I've been the pastor here at Oak Chapel for over 15 years. I've probably preached 700 or more messages here. Some of you are saying I've heard way too many of those, right? And, and, but in the midst of all of that, probably less than 2% maybe closer to 1%, have we had messages that were specifically designed to educate us biblically about the sexuality that God gave to us. And part of our desire is that we're not trying to elevate this sin above every other sin. There's all kinds of sin in the world. There's all kinds of sin in our lives, and they all matter to God. I share with you just one verse from James chapter 2, verse 10. And, you know, you may just want to make a reference, and it says, write it down, it says, for whoever keeps the entire law, yet fails in one point, is guilty of breaking it all. See, all sin matters to God. And we, we've never tried to say, well, this sin is a whole lot worse than this sin. You know, for us to, to say, well, you know, adultery or viewing pornography or whatever is a whole lot worse than seeing your neighbor in need and doing nothing about it. That's, they're both, they both matter to God. They all both have an impact on us spiritually. All those kind of, so we've not tried to elevate one over the other. And we're not trying to say that people who struggle with the issues that we're talking about today and have been talking over the last few weeks, we're not trying to say that they're worse than any of the rest of us. I think sometimes we have this idea that when we say that something is a sin, then something that the people who commit it are therefore evil. And... And we need to make sure there's a difference. We, we use the word evil as defined by the world, right? And there are good people and there are evil people, right? And, 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 and then on the other side, we, we look at what the Scripture talks about in terms of what is righteous and what is unrighteous, and we, which is sinful. So that we want to kind of take, well, sin then must equate with evil, and therefore to sin is to be evil and, you know, and... And therefore, you know, and, and, and the people that I know who struggle with this, they're, they're not evil people. They're, you know, they're, they're my neighbors. They're nice people. They're good people, right? I, they have a key to my house in case I'm not there or something. They can get, you know, and, and, and we look at it, and, and some of you, how many of you would say, well, I'm an evil person? But biblically, all of us are sinners, right? And so if we want to say that being sinful is the same as being evil, then we would have to say all of us are evil. 
So I don't think you're going to go home and put a, a sign out in your front yard and say, you don't want to live next to me because I'm evil. You know, you're not going to do that. I mean, you're, we're all fundamentally, world, in the world sense, good people. That is not the same thing as saying that in the eyes of God, we are righteous or everything that we do is righteous. And just because we struggle with sin does not mean by a world's definition that we are evil, evil people. So we want to deal with this issue today, and, and we've been in a series, and, and I don't have a lot of time to review everything that we've done. You know, we've been kind of looking at the challenge that our sexuality presents to us as we live in the world. We've looked at why God made us sexual beings in the first place, and if you've not heard either of the first two messages that we've, we've already uh, considered in this series, you can just go to our website, hopechapelsterling.org, and right smack dab in, in the middle of the front page, there's a, there'll be the message from today, and just to the side of that, there's a little button that says all sermons, and you can pick them up and listen to those. But today, what we want to look at is, 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 is how do we possess our sexuality in the world? And if the first step that really a part of this is we've got to realize that the fall, what took place in Genesis chapter 3, changes everything. It changes everything. You know, so for those of you who are not kind of familiar with the story, in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, we have different windows or perspectives on creation. And in Genesis 1, we see that God creates humanity in his image and in order for us to be in his image, he created us male and female. And as male and female live in unison with one another, they become one. We reflect the oneness of God. And that's God's intent for us in this journey, for us to, to reflect his oneness. And that's why God made us sexual beings. But in Genesis chapter 3, everything changes. Because doubt, doubt about the goodness of God, Doubt about the direction of God, doubt of the trustworthiness of God is actually activated in the lives of men and women. You know, the servant says, you know, oh, you know, the, the evil one, you know, God has said you can't eat of the garden. Said, no, 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 no. God has only said we can't eat of this tree. And they said, oh, the only reason God doesn't want you to eat of that tree is because he's trying to keep something from you. You can't trust him because when you eat that, you're going to be like him. And doubt is activated because they take of the tree. They defy the commands of God, and we experience the fall. Sinfulness enters into humanity. And the sad part is it changes everything. Changes everything. Changes the relationship between man and God. God shows up after that event, and what did Adam and Eve do? Instead of running to God to meet him, like a lo to a loving father, they're, they're cowering over behind the, you know, the trees, and because they, they they're, they're embarrassed to be in God's presence. Changes everything. God says part of the output of this is that, you know what, you're, before you used to just plant seed and up would come the corn and up would come the beans and you never had the weed, you just, you know, just sit back and relax and have a lemonade, right? And now it says, you know what, you're going to work your tail off and then you're going to get nothing. Like you're going to spend three days prepping your lawn for grass and all it's going to grow is weeds. I've been there, done that, just recently. You know what I mean? That it changes our relationship with creation. And you can see some of the impacts. I, I, you know, the, the storms we've had recently are the fact that the planet is not functioning the way God originally designed it because of the impact of sin on our world. The last, but it also changes the relationship between man and woman. It, it, it changes that. It, it introduces a dimension to our sexuality that wasn't there before. 
You know, that a corny preacher joke, you know, would be in Genesis chapter 2, she's just woman. But in Genesis chapter 3, it's, it's Adam saying, whoa, man, you know, kind of idea. So you guys didn't get that. All right. I guess you got to have to be a preacher. But, you know, it introduces this idea of, of lust and objectification and et cetera. And, 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 and it just changes everything. And it continues to affect us in the 21st century because it changes everything. And so I think there's a couple of things for us. In order for us to possess this tremendous gift of our sexuality that God's given to us and to possess it in a way that allows us to do so without being sinful, there's a couple things that we just really need to understand. And, and so I have two points, but you've got like umpteen outline spots to fill in because that's what preachers do, right? You know, so, oh, we've got two points, oh, and then we just go on and on and on and on and on and on. And so, and, and I just, just, just couple of truths I want you to recognize. And I want the first one's going to start from Ephesians chapter 5. These references are listed at the top of your outlines. And, and I'd love for you to grab a Bible. If you didn't bring one with you, there's one right underneath your seat or uh, the seat next to you. And, and you're going to be, find our text today if you're using one of the Pew Bibles on page 996. Now, this is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in the city of Ephesus, which would be in modern-day Turkey, near modern-day Istanbul. And if you don't know about the Apostle Paul, we originally meet him in the New Testament as Saul. And Saul is on a mission to destroy the church because he thinks the worst thing that has ever happened in human history is that people have come to believe in Jesus as God's son, and he's trying to crush the church. And then he meets Jesus after the resurrection. And Paul then, is, he's just struggling with all this stuff. And it's sort of like, how is it I'm pursuing God through the law and I land up actually being an enemy of the activity of God? I don't get it. And he's wrestling it all out. And a part of that overflow is he is writing to the church at Ephesus and he's trying to explain to them what it is that God has done in Christ, the role that faith or grace has in relationship to law, and what are the implications then for those of us who are under grace because of our faith in Christ, how we're supposed to live. And in the midst of that, we're in the latter part of that aspect where he's kind of laid out, this is what God did in Jesus. This is the impact that's had on us. And therefore, this is what you are free, you're released, or you're expected to do as you live out as a child of faith. And I just want to read the first five verses of chapter five. Therefore, he says, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Because of what God has done in Jesus Christ, that the Son came, was born of a virgin, born in a manger, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was buried and resurrected, now is ascended into the Father, and by grace that we can be saved by our faith, therefore we are made a children of God. This is what I want you, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be imitators of God. Who you are, what you do, how you live, the way you possess who you are is supposed to imitate God. And that means you're supposed to be faithful, you're supposed to be consistent, you're supposed to be one, connected kind of idea. So he says, walk in love, as the Messiah also walked in love and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and a fragrant offering to God. And then he immediately just changes gear. He says, but sexual immorality, and that, the word underneath that in Greek is the word from which we get pornography. It's the word porneia, right? And, and that's one of the reasons why the 
the, the porn industry doesn't really want to be called the porn industry. They want to be called adult entertainment because a little, literally the word pornography means sexually immoral. It means, you know, it literally kind of means like deviant, right? It says, but sexual immorality and any impurity, and that's the, the idea there's mixture, meaning that if you're going to try to be godly and worldly at the same time, you know, if you're going to try to do any of that, or greed should not even be heard among you as is proper for saints. And coarse and foolish talking or crude joking, joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know and recognize this, no sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of the Messiah and of God. So clearly, by looking at verse 5, God takes sexual immorality. He takes sexual sin seriously. We've already said that it doesn't necessarily make it any more important or any worse than any other sin, but God takes sexual sin seriously. And if we're in a place where we are struggling with this, we're not finding the freedom that God's given us, maybe it's the fact that we're not finding that freedom that God has actually offered us through faith in Jesus Christ, the grace to be able to see the temptation, and find the way of escape to get away from it. But, but why does God take it so seriously? And it's here where the, the idea of imitating God is so powerfully connected to all of this. See, you know, the, the Old Testament refers to the kind of, of, of covenant relationship that God had with the people of Israel. And it uses the word like hesed. It's, it means, so it refers to like covenantal love. God made a commitment to them, and he is always, always, always faithful to it and to them. You and I, the way we possess our sexuality, is supposed to imitate the faithfulness of God. That's why we engage in a relationship called marriage, and we, and we are always faithful to it. That's why God hates divorce. It's because it tarnishes his vision. You know, if, if, if the relationship between a husband and a wife is supposed to show the permanency by which I've connected myself to you, and all of a sudden it's broken, what does that communicate to the world? It's like, you know what? You can't really count on God. God's here today. He's gone tomorrow. He said, no, 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 no. When God connects with you, he connects with you forever. And he wants the way that we live out our lives in our sexuality to reflect his faithfulness to us. So we need to accept the fact that sexual sin really matters. I think sometimes we live in one of these days where, yeah, you know, it's no big deal. Everybody's kind of doing it, and it's just the way the times are, and we'll get through it, and, you know, they'll and all kind of... And, and, and it matters. It matters. It's always mattered to God. You know, and, and you know, we, we think, well, you know, we don't really understand contemporary the, the world in which Paul was writing was more sexually charged than the world in which we live. I don't have time to unpack all of that, but it's amazing. And if, if you're trying to be pro, a promoter of a new religion, you want people to try to adopt it, you're not going to say, you know what, let's get up in their face as much as we can and make it as hard for them to get connected. There's, Paul was the world's worst marketer of Christianity if, that was, if that's what he was trying to do. Here's the second truth. If you and I, 
Because the fall has changed everything, you and I need to understand that sexual morality matters to God. And we also need to let the faith that we have in Christ literally change the DNA of the way that we see our sexuality. And, and I'm going to introduce you to another letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. And he wrote it to the church at Corinth. And I'd love for you just to flip back a few more pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And if, if, if you have your Bibles, you can pr- turn to page 972 if you're using one of the Pew Bibles. And we've we got to peel back the context a little bit so we can kind of get engaged with this. Because we're, we're kind of like jumping into the middle of a conversation that Paul has been having with the church at Corinth. Now, Paul had a, a deep relationship with this church. This, this church, Corinth... If you look at Greece, Greece kind of comes down and then it gets really narrow and then it gets wider again, right? And right where it gets really narrow is where Corinth was. So you remember in the ancient world, when, you know, when they sailed ships, they weren't aircraft carriers, right? They were short little boats. So most of the time when they were traveling from east to west or they were moving from west being Italy, Rome, to east, most of them would sail into this narrow spot of Greece and they would take everything off the boat, cart it across the, the land, the five or six miles, put it on another boat, and send it on its way. Because it was just safer, quicker, the whole nine yards. Smack, right smack dab where all of this transient trade went through, all these maritime workers went through, was Corinth. That's where it was situated. And Corinth was, was known to be a city that, uh, that loved to indulge their desires. In fact, the dominant structure in the entire city was the temple of Aphrodite. They used a different term for them, but it was the goddess of love. And so a part of that, they, they literally at times had thousands of temple prostitutes who would come out of the temple at night, work their way through the streets, and, and to, to ply the, their religion of, of creating love through, their, through prostitution. So you have the backdrop of this city, and then on top of that, you have Greek philosophy. Now, and, and obviously, Corinth was in Greece, and Greek philosophy loved to separate the mind and the spirit from the body. And so, they, they, and, and so the, this dichotomy between the two went one of two ways. There was one school of thought, and it was more popular, that you could, get, you could enlighten yourself to such a point you could get so spiritually mature, so enlightened, that what you did with your body had no impact on you at all. So part of what you would do is, you know what, hey, I, I'm, I've reached such a spiritual state that I can go out and do all this bad stuff with my body, and it's not going to affect me at all, because I'm above it all, because I'm so spiritual. The other side were those who wanted to just... Just, it's almost like, all right, you know, we need to be masters of our bodies. So they would just like terrorize their bodies, right? They would just push them to the limit with fasting and this and denial and all these kinds of things. And, and so you have this culture that's already having this whole struggle of what do we do with our bodies in relationship to our spirits and our minds? And then you drop the gospel in. And the gospel says, you know what? Your relationship with God is based upon what God's done, not what you do. Right? It's by grace that you are saved, by faith. Just back up a couple chapters, you'll see that. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. So if, 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 
if our relationship with God is his gift to us in Jesus Christ, what in the world do we do with our bodies? And there were those who said, you know what, we should, we should be masters of our own bodies. And, and so they were still into denial. They were taking all of that. And, and that's what Paul talks about in chapter 7, because you had married couples who were saying, well, we shouldn't even just have sex anymore because, you know, we're masters of our bodies. We should be able to repress those desires. And Paul says, no, nah, nah, that's not the way it's supposed to work. But here in chapter 6, he's dealing with the other group. They were saying, you know what, we've, we've been set free by God and therefore, what we do with our bodies has absolutely no impact on anything, and we're free to do whatever. And Paul steps in and he says, no, 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 no. Your faith should transform the way that you see your sexuality. It should change the DNA, the, literally the very makeup of the way that you see your sexuality. And, and he says, you need to move it from the profane, and I'm using that word as in the sense of this worldly kind of where everybody else sees it, you need to move it over to the sacred where you see that your sexuality is something that God's given you. And so let me just read these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. And then I just want to draw a few points for those, and then we're going to wrap up and let God do with it as he will in your life. Paul writes to them, everything is permissible for me. In other words, because salvation is by grace alone. It's not by law. It's not by what I do. Therefore, I've been set free from trying to justify myself, earn God's favor. So because I don't have to do any of that, everything's permissible for me, but not everything is helpful. Everything's permissible for me, but I will not be brought under the control of anything. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods. We're going to get back to that, but basically they're throwing Paul's own words back in his face about something he had taught them earlier. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will do away with both of them. But the body is not like that. The body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord, and he will raise us up by his power. In other words, God raised Jesus physically. He's going to raise us up to be able to possess our sexuality in a way that's pleasing to him by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? So should I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? And that, that word there is very applicable to the Corinthians. The word underneath it actually just it simply means, should I, should I make them members of somebody who's sexually immoral? It doesn't necessarily mean you have to be in the profession of being a prostitute. But it's just somebody who's sexually immoral. Somebody who likes to live loosely, to use our kind of common vernacular today. He says, absolutely not. Do you not know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? Do you not know that anyone who is joined to somebody who is morally loose, if you will, is one body with her? For it says the two will become one flesh. But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every sin a person can commit is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And that price that you were bought at was the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you were bought with the blood of Jesus. 
He says, therefore, glorify God in your body. So let me just kind of break this down maybe into some digestible points for us, right? When you and I think about this journey, and we think, we need to recognize what, what, the, what the profane says, what the world says, right? It simply says, you know, and, and, and this can happen in the church. You know, it, it, the, the only thing that really matters is who we know. It doesn't really matter what we do. Right? We're, we're saved by grace, right? God did all of that in Jesus. That was wrapped up back in 33 AD, right? All I got to do is believe in that. And what I do, it just doesn't matter. Right? Because you're, you know, for it is by grace that you are saved by faith. It's not of works. It doesn't have anything to do with what you do. So it only matters who you know. It doesn't really matter what you do. That's what the profane looks at. It doesn't matter what I really do with my body. I mean, I love Jesus. I go to church. I mean, I even get up and, you know, for the early service at 9, you know. I come down and I help clean or I'll rake some leaves every once in a while. So I pray and I read my Bible. You know, I did, you know listen, I, I love God. So it doesn't really matter what I do with my body, right? Because I have faith and I've been forgiven. So the profane says, you know, it really only matters who you know. It doesn't really matter what we do. And then the second thing is that the profane, the world says, you know what? It's, it, it's okay because it's just natural. It's okay because it's what the body is made for. And this gets a little bit more technical. I told you back here, we're looking at verse 13, where Paul said, food's for the stomach and the stomach is for food. You know, there was a lot of debate that went on in the early church after Jesus kind of, you know, was died, was resurrected, the church there was a lot of, what do we do with the Old Testament law? Because there's a lot of stuff back there about bacon and, you know, all that kind of stuff and what you can and cannot eat. Does that stuff matter anymore, right? And, and Paul's saying, listen, how you keep dietary regulation is going to have absolutely nothing to do to justify you before God, one way or the other. You know, you eat food, it goes into the stomach, and it goes, Right? Food is for the stomach. The stomach's food. It doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you are spiritually qualified to live in the presence of God. It doesn't have anything to do with it. So the church here is turning around, and they're saying, you know, well, if food is made for the stomach and stomach is made for food, that's just natural, right? I mean, everybody loves Doritos, right? I mean, it's just, it's just natural, you know, that kind of thing. I'm being a little bit facetious. And, but on the other side, he said, well, you know what? Your genitals were made for sex. I'm sure when you came to church this morning, you probably never thought you were going to hear the word genitals, right? I mean, so it's like, uh, but, but it says, hey, you know, this, this is what these parts were made for. So we should just use them that way, right? I mean, if, if, if the natural part of the stomach is just to eat food and, you know, digest food and turn it into energy and stuff, well, let's just use these other parts the way they were intended to be made, what they were made for. So let's just, you know, let's just use them. And what that translates over to in our world is much more this phrasing. It's my body. Nobody can tell me what to do with it. Right? It's my body. Nobody can tell me what to do with it. And, and it's that whole idea. That, but I got to tell you what. When, when we let our faith impact us and begin to transform our understanding of our sexuality, it moves it out of the profane and it moves into the sacred. And when we move into the sacred, part of what we realize is that how we behave does affect us spiritually. 
We don't live like up here, here's our spirit, and down here's our physical bodies, and it doesn't really matter what we do with that. You know, like, you know, there could be stuff that's going on in, you know, in, 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 in East Africa right now. It doesn't have any impact on how you and I are going to live, right? That's not the way it works with us spiritually. Paul says that how we behave does indeed affect us spiritually. Look at verse 12 again. Everything's permissible for me, right? But that doesn't mean everything's good for you. Doesn't mean everything's profitable for you. There are some things that may be lawful for us to do. In other words, it's not going to land you up in hell kind of idea, but it doesn't mean it's going to be good for you spiritually. We're going to come back to this theme just a little bit under another point a little later on. But, but you know, we, we have, and, and, and this is very consistent with the teaching of Jesus, right? You know, the, one of the most confusing passages of Scripture for a lot of us to understand is when Jesus says, you know what, if your right eye causes you to sin, just pluck it out and get rid of it, right? What he's saying is that we can have things in our lives that really are damaging to us spiritually, and if we don't get those things out, we're going to continue to be damaged by them. That doesn't mean we should go physically pluck our eyes out. But it does mean that there can be things in our lives that are not good for us spiritually. And if we tolerate those things, we're going to pay the price for that on our spirit. The second reality, and this comes out of the latter part of chapter, of verse 12, where he says everything is permissible. He said, but you know what? I'm not going to be brought under the control of anything. So when... Part of the sacred says, you know what, I can only have one Lord. That's what the sacred says. I can only have one Lord. That's, that's all I can have. I mean, Jesus said, you know what, you can't serve God and mammon. Remember that whole discussion in the Sermon on the Mount? You know, a lot of times we, we saw our, it's either about money or it's about, you know, letting Jesus be Lord. Here what Paul's saying is that, you know what, you, you, can, you either can have Jesus is Lord of your sexuality or you can let your desires be Lord of your sexuality. And he says, but for me, I've been set free, and the only Lord I'm going to have over anything is Jesus. And, and this, is, this is why, you know, to be under the control of anything outside that's not driven by faith, not driven by the Lordship of Christ, it's just bad for us. Whether it's our physical desires related to our sexuality or the way that we embrace and tolerate and act on our anger to the way we use our tongues to addictive behaviors and right on down the line, all this stuff. We need to let Christ be master because you can only have one Lord. You know what? It, 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 it may be permissible, but that doesn't mean that if it's the thing that's running you instead of Jesus running you, it's not good for you. The third thing that we would say here is that sexual immorality actually damages our soul. Damages our soul. Look at the latter part of verse 18. Every sin a person can commit is outside the body. But the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. And so part of what Paul is saying here, and it flows a little bit out of the latter part of verses 16 and 17, where he says, you know, is it right to take the members of Christ and connect them to somebody who's sexually immoral, and you become one with them, and and those kinds of things? What he's saying is that there is something about sexual sin that's different than other kinds of sins. 
Because when we engage sexually with somebody else, we engage with our emotions, we engage relationally, we engage physically, we engage spiritually. It involves all of us. And we give something to somebody else. And when they walk away and take it with them, we never get it back. And that damages our soul. It damages. Now, you can be forgiven for it, but just because you're forgiven doesn't mean all the consequences are taken from it. You know, if you know if you if you if you get drunk and drive fast and run into a telephone pole and and crash your car and you get you can be forgiven for that, but that doesn't mean that the broken leg that you got is just going to instantly disappear, or you're not going to land up. I mean, sometimes the consequences live with us even after the fact, and we can be forgiven, but the consequences, we, we can be forgiven for ourselves. Well, that doesn't mean that the damage to our souls isn't going to thing. He says, if you're, if you're going to embrace your sexuality in a way that you understand it from God's perspective, he said, this is a tremendous gift that he's given you to use to reflect who he is in the world, to give it to your life partner, and to stay in that relationship forever, and that's going to feed your soul. But when you start giving it away to everybody else, you're just going to corrode yourself from the inside out. It's going to damage your soul because it's a unique kind of sin. It involves all of us. It involves our bodies. It involves our spirit. It involves our minds, our emotions. It's a unique kind of sin, and with it, it has unique kinds of consequences in our lives. You uplifted yet? You can say, yeah, I'm glad I went to church today. Let me give you a couple of things just to think about. You know, I got to process these sermons personally before they ever get to you. So, you know, it's not like this is a, this is a real love feast up here for me either, right? I, 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 I want to point out how in the world that you and I then, in this fallen world where everything has been impacted by the fall, and, 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 the, and, and, and the world just keeps trying to say to us, it doesn't really matter. It's your body. You can do whatever you want. It's promoting that profane kind of... And we're struggling. How is it that you and I can actually possess our sexuality in a way where it doesn't become the three-letter word of sin? Let me just give you a few things. And again, I want to draw them out of this text in 1 Corinthians 6. The first thing is, you and I need to accept that our bodies are holy ground. If we have a personal relationship through Jesus Christ, God has taken residence in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. When you are walking around, you are walking around as a temple of God. You are holy ground. And, and, and with that, your body belongs to God. Just look at verse, verse 20. It says, you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You know, and earlier it says, you know, do you not know that your bodies are temples, a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit is in you, whom you have from God. And, and your body is holy ground. Now, there are all kinds of implications for this, right? You know, I, maybe it's not as much today as when I was growing up because I'm getting old, you know. But, you know, back, back in my day, you know, the, the, the expectation was that a boy would try to get everything he could sexually out of a girl. And it was a girl's job to say no. That's, when you look at this, there is no double standard. I have a responsibility to possess this holy temple in a way that's pleasing to God. And whether the girl is saying yes, 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 I need to be saying no, no, no. 
until I'm in a place where I can express my sexuality in a way that's pleasing to God. There is no double standard. This is not more for girls than it is for boys. It's not more for, it's not, it's not more for women than it is for men. It applies to all of us. You know, and, and all of it matters. I, I, think there's, I think there's a lot of this here that, that really speaks to us as men about the way that we view the bodies of women. You know, we, we, we have a tendency to want to objectify, right? And, you know, and, and you, know, you, you, you see the funny movies and that kind of stuff. And, and you know, uh, when I was back in high school and stuff, you know, the, some of the sad times, you know, you'd sit and you'd watch, just kind of watch the girls go by and you just rate them all, you know. There's a, there's a five, there's an eight, there's, you know, that kind of idea. Terrible stuff. Thank God I'm forgiven, you know, and just terrible stuff. But, but you know, when, when we're doing that, the Holy, God's saying, you know, there goes one of my daughters. There goes one of my daughters. There goes, there goes me in the person of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we, we just need to change the way that we see each other. And this has a lot to say about modesty. It has a lot to say about modesty. I, I am not going to try to give you any kind of standards, right? Modesty can be very culturally driven and all those kinds of things. But, but your body is a reflection <laughs> Of, who the, of God. It's a reflection of the Holy Spirit. And you need to treat it appropriately. You know, Christina and I often joke that, that I've been blessed because I didn't have any daughters. Right? We had two boys. That was horrific enough, right? But, you know, and because if we had had a daughter, I could see myself being in constant fights with them, right? I would have had like the six-inch rule, right? No more than six inches above the ankle, at least six inches long on the shoulders, and you're going to be able to pull it out at least six inches in the back, you know? And, and I think that probably would have created just a few fights along the way, right? And, and I'm being somewhat facetious and, and et cetera, but, but modesty, is, when we are dressing ourselves simply to draw attraction to ourselves for somebody to say, boy, they're sexually attractive, we're, we're, we are just pouring junk on this wonderful temple that God has built. For us. Now, don't go home and say, well, you know, pastor said I can't dress attractively and fashionably. Like, let's all go to Dick's Sporting Good and buy sleeping bags, and we'll just cut sleeves out the side, and we'll walk around. That's not what I'm saying, all right? It's, it's not, you know? But, but thoughtfulness in the way we do all of this. I'm glad you're still with me at least enough of any of that. All right. Second truth. We need to understand and, and, and this is humbling for us, but we need to understand that the way we engage our sexuality, it either, it either pleases God or it exposes Christ to sin. If I take these eyes and I look at pornography, God is looking at those through my eyes. And the stuff that's happening on the screen, God's seeing. And we need to understand that the way that we possess our sexuality, it either pleases God or it exposes Christ's immorality. You know, so when, when, when you think you're going to start going to the establishment or go to a movie or do whatever and say, hey, Jesus, come with me. If, if, you, can't, if you can't do that, then you're probably in a place that's probably not that great. Third truth. Look at the beginning of verse 18. Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. Paul's saying, you know what? When, when the moment comes and you see sexual immorality in your headlights, he said, stop, take off the sandals, snap on, slap on the running shoes, and sprint, you know, the other direction. Run from it as far as you can. I, I've got to translate it here. It's like we need to avoid it like the plague. 
And sometimes we, we want to live our lives, and I've got a great illustration. We want to live our lives in the area of our sexualities. We want to get our hands just as close as we can to the fire without getting burned. And Paul's saying, man, run the other direction. Don't even get close to it. And there's a word in there for us. That's why having other believers in our lives to help us process this stuff all is so helpful. And maybe this last point brings us back to where we started a couple of weeks ago, where we said, you know what, if, if, you, if you haven't decided to live sexually before God in a way that's pleasing to him, then you're guaranteed that you're not. And this last point is that, you know what, we need to determine. We need to make a specific, intentional choice today, then again tomorrow, and then the day after. And every single day, we need to determine to glorify God with our bodies, to honor him. You know, I, I, I realize that so much of this has been like, no, 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 no. Because last week when we looked at God's perspective on sexuality and why he gave it to us, it was all yes, 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 right? But here's the balance for us. There's a way in which we need to possess this by faith, and you and I have the freedom if we will make the choice as children of God to glorify God with our bodies. And that's what my prayer is for you and for me today. Let's pray together. And we're going to... God, there's a lot here. God, I thank you for the gift of sex. I thank you for the gift of our sexuality. God, we pray for the faith, the wisdom, and the determination to glorify you with our bodies. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.